Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show. Brought to you by no one in particular. It is Monday <laughs> on March 27th. Um, this is one of those shows where Mickey and I have been trying to tape for a couple of days, and each day that we don't tape, something crazy happens. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, we got to talk about this one. So all of our ideas from our original list of what we wanted to talk about, I was going to say this week, it kind of you know pushed back towards the end. Because um, as of yesterday, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to talk about Mueller. We got to talk about Avenatti. We got to talk about what's on Netflix. But Mickey, um, what do you think of that Chicago justice out there? With Jesse Smollett. Don't we all wish we could get a deal like that? Uh, Look, here's the thing, Jim and everybody. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for listening. Look, um, this is, and you're absolutely right. I thought when you were doing the opening line there, when you suggested that every day that we did not record something else more insane happened. Um, And we're going to get into a lot of that insanity uh, as we talk about the show. But yeah, like, I have to tell you, I never thought... Jesse Smollett was actually going to go to jail. I mean, that's like kind of one of those, like, it would be fun if he did, but you never really think he's going to go to jail. What I thought was he would get like probation and, you know, have to pay restitutions and some kind of fine. The idea that the state's attorney general just decided to drop the charges, keep the bond money and move on with their life is something I did not see coming. Take that one step further, and I would say that the thing I really didn't see coming was after all of this has happened and he's just about, he's going to walk away scot-free minus his $10,000 of bond money that he forfeited and his two days where he apparently did some type of community service with one of Jesse Jackson's organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done now. <laughs> and nice. the thing about it is, is, like, I didn't expect him to go to jail. I didn't expect any of that, but I don't think it's the right message to send that you're just going to drop all the charges. And yeah. it, does this make me a bad person, Jim? No, not in the slightest. Look, let's open this with, you know, um, I'm totally open to the argument that Jesse Smollett, this was a nonviolent crime and that ultimately Jesse Smollett does not necessarily need to be behind bars at any point. Um, I'm even open to the argument that you were probably, you know, he's already demonstrated an ability to turn things into a media circus. He's already demonstrated that he can be absolutely shameless while lying. Um, and it's probably very likely that if this went to trial, Smollett and his lawyers would attempt to make this, you know, try it in the court of public opinion and try to make it all about the Chicago police department's recent history with young African-American men, which is, let's face it, not pretty. Um, That's so I can see the argument of, I want, we want to now. avoid it. No, let me, I want, I can understand the argument. We want to avoid a trial here. That makes sense. To right. Me. Right. Yeah. Um, but the idea of, way, presumably when there's a plea deal, there's a plea involved, <laughs> which means you're pleading guilty to something and at one point, there were 20 felonies on this. Now, maybe that was overcharged. Maybe this was, you know, them throwing the book at him. But you figure you'd say, okay, I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to pay a fine. This whole idea that, you know, oh, we're going to count the community service you already did. Mickey, I'm thinking about just doing a lot of community service just to get it out of the way and to have it banked, I <laughs> you know, for brilliant. what I, I decided to become an expert, right? You know? This uh, this is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And, you know, I am a huge fan of criminal justice reform. And 
while usually it goes the opposite direction for most of the defendants, you have to understand that what we just saw happen happens all the time um, on smaller scales. Now, listen, on smaller scales, um, not necessarily with the same results and what have you. They're not necessarily dropping charges, but they might be adding a few. Um, people do things for a lot of different reasons. And what concerns me is that this example, what I've learned this week, Jim, I don't know what you've learned, but what I have learned this week is that, it, one, if I'm going to commit a hate crime, obviously do that in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, a hate crime, a hate crime hoax, excuse me. Always do that in Chicago. And and I think I think the other part of that would be it's good to have a lot of money and well-connected friends. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, here's the thing. You know, we've always had, ah, you know, that's the Chicago way. Right? We've always had this perception of, ah, you know, this is a deeply corrupt city. Uh, you know, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. You know, this way. This is one of those decisions <laughs> That it like surprise the cynics, right? Even the people who are mm -hmm. like, ah, you know, like New Jersey is it looking at that and saying, "Whoa, that's my stuff." David up. Axelrod. Yeah, that um, was the moment when I saw David Axelrod's response to it and his disgust with it. I was like, "Wow, you all have gone too far." And I guess when here's the thing, you know, David Axelrod. There are a lot of you know Democrats in good standing in Chicago who are not eager to um, go after a Hollywood star or something like that, but who really feel like their city's image got dragged through the mud in this, right? They, they, you know, oh, wait, you know, that this isn't the kind of place that has a bunch of MAGA hat-wearing, you know, racist homophobes going through the middle of the night in the coldest, you know, in the middle of winter looking for, you know, empire stars to beat up, right? That this, you know, that, that, that yeah, Chicago's got a lot of problems. Yeah, it's got a lot of gun violence. Yeah, it's got, you know, um, poverty and class distinctions and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have that. And Chicagoans are proud of their city and they don't like CNA, you know, if you're, if you're going to criticize the city, there's enough accurate, there are enough real problems. Oh, yeah, you don't <laughs> make something up. That new ones. And I think no, that's... And I think uh, that... Oh, yes. I think that's one of the things that's sticking in the craw of the people of Chicago. It's one of the things that's sticking with me because, of course, it also inflamed so much racial tension that made me very, very angry. Um, it made me angry when it felt like he was going to let two innocent guys go to jail. Um, but I, I think one of the things that makes me the most angry is with all of this things that has happened, all the blessings that have been bestowed upon his apparently chosen ass, he walks out there and says with a straight face that he's innocent. Mm. And he, like OJ, is apparently going to, you know, go on to do great things for the community and whatnot. Yeah. That, that, you know, it was bad. That, it was that bad. was the shameless part. Yeah, shameless as hell. Like and you kind of wonder if the, the prosecutor knew, like the, the prosecutors expected he would go out and sound contrite and sound humble and admit yeah. that you know it, no, <laughs> the hell, uh, they, they you should have gotten that in writing. Which oh, I get, which would be nice if they'd you know written that down any of this, but apparently they didn't, and apparently all the court records related to his previous proceedings have been sealed. Look, this is a soup to nuts cover up, um, which is, you know, but the, but the irony is like you're trying to do a cover up when everybody's already paying a lot of attention to it. And I I'm not don't so, sure see it so much as a cover up is the, uh, this is what we're going to do. And now we've sealed the records. Go F yourself. Yeah. Yep. So not really covering uh, much up. You can all see it happening.
Yeah, so I mean, the question is, does Jesse Smollett have the worst lawyer, or um, does does Stormy Daniels have the worst lawyer in the, I guess, former <laughs> lawyer in Michael Avenatti, who just got, you know, arrested or, or is being charged with trying to uh, uh, basically extort money out of Nike. Um, this is on top of getting kicked out of his law office. This is on top of, apparently, something I saw this morning, apparently he didn't pay taxes for 10 years. Mickey, remember when that was the anonymous charge against Mitt Romney? Yeah. So I guess one of the things that jumped out at me about the Avenatti news, right? So this is a guy who seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, he did CNN something like 70 times in a two month period or something like that. Mm. Do you feel like every once in a while we get like these figures come up and they, they're on our television screens and they're treated very seriously because they're on our television screens. And yet, you know, make, Mickey, if we were making a legal drama, and we wanted to make an ambulance chaser who the audience to just instinctively not trust. Wouldn't we <laughs> cast someone who looked and sounded exactly like Michael Avenatti? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that his timing was suspect. I think that his motives have been suspect from you know start to finish. But I think that Jim, I think the most important thing for you to realize here is that one, you know how much and how strongly I believe in karma. Like, it's a very real thing to me. And I have watched karma play out over the last couple days in (laughs) ways that I would have never imagined that it could have happened. And, you know, so, you know, things have a way of finding their way to the light, I guess. Right. I mean, it's been a it's been a hell of a couple years with this whole Trump thing and the Russians and the Democrats and everyone's so tied to everything um like on a really emotional level mm. and i'm there's part of me that hopes and i know that this makes me a dreamer some say i'm the only one more on that um but really it was you know just hopeful on my part that this would come out and not today because they're still going through the stages of grief right you know denial and anger and bargaining and whatever um but maybe at some point some of these russian truthers um or collusion truthers i've heard them say (laughs) that they will realize that like there's better ways to spend their time um and that i they like what they were being told and what they believe is really no better than the kind of things that we were seeing in Alex Jones like because basically people believe what they wanted to believe, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe once the proof is out there that there wasn't like you know, I'm sure some of these quote sources had them, you know, oh, well they've got this or they've got that and they didn't obviously have anything or they would have been able to charge them. Yeah. Um, I loved I still want to hear from BuzzFeed and Ben Smith about their article. About saying that you know it, Trump. Had tell me about that. Trump, tell right? me how you feel about that, like as ah, a person. Well, you know, because you know you're in this, you're up to your eyeballs with it. So without getting, you know, I don't, I, I love putting you on the spot, but like, <laughs> like as a as you know as a reader and as someone who is a journalist, like, what what is that? What did that story do to you? And how quickly it disappeared? What did you think about that? Sure. Let me be you start by saying nice things to the conspiracy to the uh, collusion folks and before I kick the poop out of them. Um, okay. So, yeah. So Trump did have this weird habit of not saying n- nasty things about Vladimir Putin when he would be very critical and nasty and lash out at anybody. 
Um, Paul Manafort worked for the pro-Russian guy in Ukraine, and he's exactly the kind of guy who you'd figure to be a uh, potential go-between between the Russian state and the Trump campaign. Um, Roger Stone is a weirdo. Okay, um, you could you you could uh, Trump was interested in building a a hotel and casino or what you know, resort or whatever it was going to be in Moscow. There was enough, inc- you know, uh, co- I don't want to say coincidental. Um, enough um, circumstantial evidence to to support this narrative. But it's a big step to say, oh, you know, Donald Trump is a Russian asset and the KGB slash FSB has been controlling him for years, which was, by the way, like a big cover piece in New York Magazine last summer. They, the whole thing was speculation that uh, the Russians have been tr- controlling Trump for years and years and years. That's a and, huge and, and accusation. Just remi- remind me, who wrote that and what was the theme and the sourcing? Jonathan Chait, uh, New Yorker. And again, it pointed to a lot of this circumstantial stuff. It, I, the irony is, and this is an admission against interest, Mickey, um, it reminded me of the Iraq War WMD stuff, where among, you know, I, I don't want to rehash the whole argument there, but you, there was a ton of stuff. He'd used it in the past. He'd guessed the Kurds. He had a, a scientist nicknamed Dr. Germ. Why do they think she was working on biological weapons? Because her nickname is Dr. Germ. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm a, you know, that I'm actually a WMD truther. Okay. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the fact that some guys got sick after the war from exposure to mustard gas and chlorine and stuff like that. Um, well, and the there's one other that we're not, there are different types of chemical warfare beyond mustard gas is one of it. But I also think that part of it is, um, I do believe I'm a, I'm a believer of it getting moved into Syria. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, those, uh, those allegations and reports. Also, I believe one of the British intelligence's sources was, uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. So if I get it wrong, my apologies, listeners, uh, Tariq Aziz, the, uh, Iraqi foreign minister. So if you got the foreign minister as one of your sources, You'd, you'd feel pretty good about that conclusion. Okay, this guy would be in a position to know. Now, yes, the that, there was, that was, I remember hearing that or reading about that as well, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where everybody just assumes, well, okay, if there's this much circumstantial evidence, then it has to be true. And you know what? Lo and behold, it wasn't true. You know, yeah, Trump's done a lot of shady things. He's got a lot of p- characters around him that no other presidential campaign would have had associated with. He is weirdly... Um, amiable or friendly or non-hostile to Putin and Russia. Okay, yeah, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean he and Russia colluded on the campaign. And the first, you know, a couple weeks ago when we got that little, uh, uh, the indictment against Stone, which said that, you know, they tried to reach out to, it was either Jerome Corsi or one of the other guys. Well, wait a second. If they're going through Jerome Corsi, this means there is no direct line between the campaign and, uh, uh, and that I think it was some other uh, guy who wrote from Bloomberg who made the assessment. That, you know, the the woman who looks like v- Valerie Bertinelli. You know, the, the the Russian woman who had the Trump Tower meeting. I'll pause as everyone looks up the name. Um, that that was the you know the, the the types of people who were in con- the you know they kept saying you know you see you kept seeing media reports saying Kremlin linked Russians met with the you know this person associated with the Trump campaign. Well, it's Russia. Everybody's like two degrees uh, away from the Kremlin. And the kinds of people who were being sent were not the kind of people who were going to be uh, involved in a, a, you know, uh, in a plot like this. That they were just simply not experienced enough, not prominent enough. And if you really knew Russia, that these guys were like the, the flunkies, the B team, the D team, you know. And that was just a, you know, 
Um, but people, I think, wanted it to be true. Almost, actually, okay, you, you made a, a truther joke there, Mickey. You know what this is actually a little bit like? Mickey? Yes. Okay. Ah. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like the birther movement. I, I was there. You go. Thank you. You you you, know, you jumped in exactly what I was thinking. In that sense of like, I always feel like the birthers. There is this mentality among some folks on the right that oh, if we if we find this, aha, here's his Kenyan birth certificate, right? Here's mm-hmm. the evidence that the Hawaiian birth certificate is fake. Well, then bump, straight bump, forward bump. from here, right? Well, mm-hmm. the idea that well, you know, he can't be president. It's constitutional. He'd automatically have to be removed from office, and then you don't have to defeat defeat him at the ballot box. You know, it's it's this mm-hmm. magic wand that undoes the whole presidency. Well, I'm sure for a lot of Democrats, if you could find evidence that Trump was conspiring with Russia, dun dun dun. You know, you have that Perry Mason moment, and you'd have to force okay. us. You know, I would like to talk about this for a second. This is something that I agree 100%, by the way. I feel like it's very close. That's why I started calling it the Russian truther movement. And in my own head and online is because it immediately reminded me of the birthers, who I hold in a great deal of contempt for a number of reasons. Um, And they were fringe. They were people who were not taken seriously by the media, right? They were not taken seriously by most people in the party. Donald Trump is probably the most famous truther of all time. Uh, um, yeah. and, but at the same time, he's also the world's most famous troll. So you never really know where he's going with it. Um, but I mean, on the whole, most people think that people who believe in the truth or nonsense are like the world's worst and most annoying people. Am I wrong about that? Oh yeah, no. The you know it is so a classic now theory. we've yeah. got, but now we've got people in mainstream media. We've got people running for president. Um, on the whole, like not one freak like we got mm-hmm. stuck with. They've got a ton, um, and we've got all of these people who are full on, even after the report that they have been touting for two years has come out, and now they're pretending. Like that might be compromised. Yeah, like, I mean, look. At what the... point do we say, like, look, you guys aren't like one degree from Alex Jones? Step away. Uh, Hillary lost because she did not visit Wisconsin, and she took a lot of voters for granted. And she's also not very likable. The end. Mm. Move on. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure there's some listener jumping out of the sorry. chair right now. I, no, sorry, no, I, should, I, I, I should step down now. No, no. Um, you know, the report has not come out yet. Um, the Department oh, right. of Justice. You know, oh, bar is represent them, it. yes. What we say, you know, th- th- there's a enormous number of Democrats and, and, you know, progressive folks out there who are basically betting, you know, pushing all, uh, the way I put it yesterday was putting, putting, taking all of their remaining poker chips. They've already lost a bunch. Pushing them all to the middle of the table and betting that uh, Attorney General Barr has somehow misconstrued, mischaracterized, or just outright lied about what the Mueller report said. Now, if his four-page summary that he put out had some sort of, you know, serious contradiction, you know, Mueller would just go out and tell a press conference and say, well, actually, no, I, you know, I didn't find A, B, and C. I found X, Y, and Z, and Barr is lying about it. And that would be the end of Attorney General Barr, right? I mean, that, you know. Right. So, I mean, is it possible Barr shaded things a little bit this way or underplayed something? Or I, I suppose, you know, but we're, we know this, this report's got to come out at some you point. You are so much of a squish. 
Me? You give way. Yes, you. You are giving them way too much benefit of the doubt. Look, the bottom line is this. Like, if there was something criminal, these people have been coming out of celebrating. There would have been champagne popping. And what it would have meant, Jim, is that in some way, the Russians put our president in power. Yeah. Um, but that would have been cause for celebration in a lot of places, including mostly the newsrooms. Um, and that's really problematic to me on many levels. But here's the real thing. It should have been a celebration that that wasn't the case. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and instead it immediately became, well, well, if that's not the case, then this will happen or that'll happen. Like, we're over it. And this is why you need to play. At REM's Everybody Hurts amongst a montage of people looking forlornly out the window as it rains. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to now think of an appropriate theme song for the time in which we are currently dealing with these people. And there's that song. Um, I believe it's by... Uh, it's, it's one of the Eagles who sang Get Over It. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, of course, there's always... Frozen's famous let it go like I'm down for either one of those right now because like this is crazy mm. this is craziness um there are real things going on in the world beyond this and of course you'd never know that if you watch cable news I don't watch cable news often I've watched recently just to watch the meltdown over the craziness that's happened and this is not political you know I do not like Trump it's not about that mm. this is about me seeing in real life um, what you know I care so greatly about, which is one, again, criminal justice reform and mental health um, reform. But at the same time, I, I'm seeing it play out and I'm seeing all the things that I hate about it happen. Yeah. I, I hate being tried in the court of public opinion. I hate where it looks like someone has been treated more fairly or more to the point, less fairly for one reason or another, when they're just trying to close a case or trying to make things happen. Um, I, there's just a lot of things that bother me. And I think that, and, you know, I could be wrong, but I think that it's, it's one of those things, you know, do you know that they even have true crime conventions? I, I was just about to say, you know, we're going to get a, uh, you know, probably the, the, the collusion convention will probably get people, uh, who want to get together. But so what happens at a true crime convention? Because I, I actually, I'm picturing a bunch of amateur detectives all getting together, picking yeah, well, some sort of case. And you I, know. I think what made me think of, of this particular thing is that, um, quite frankly, where we're at now with where the media and, and sorry, but the Democrats are at, um, they're, they're pretty much, you know, the conspiracy theorists right now. And they could start having their own conventions about, you know, obviously the aliens doing it or the Jews or, you know, the build a burgers or whatever. Um, and, you know, Ronald McDonald, I don't know. I don't know who's controlling the weather now. But, you know, they will probably have those and be very, very welcome. I will never go there because those people are nuts. They can hang out with the flat earthers that we talked about last week. Um, they'll fit in perfectly. I, however, have, as you just mentioned, found that, and, and I feel ashamed, Jim. You feel ashamed that you haven't been to one yet? Well, I feel ashamed that I haven't been to one yet. I feel ashamed that I was only recently, like within the last year or so, like made aware of just like how big of a deal they can be and where they're held and some of the speakers that come. And yeah, I want to go now. And what happens at these true crime conventions, for those of you who, like myself, love true crime, you'll understand. But for the rest of you, let me explain. 
it's all about the people who, for the most part, solve the crime and survive the crime. These are not cases or places where you're going to find a great deal of uh, what I would consider glamorization mm-hmm. of the violence or the perpetrator. Now, you know, there's obviously a natural instinct to be drawn to, like, the serial killers and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, so they have people that come in from the BAU and actually speak to um, speak to you. So uh, one of my favorite authors... What is the BAU? Is, uh, sorry, it's the behavioral... It's part of the behavioral science unit, and they used to be the behavioral science unit, and, and now it is the um, behavioral, behavioral analysis unit. Uh, part of the FBI or... Yeah, it's part of okay. the FBI. It's the profiling arm of the mm, FBI. Okay. So they bring in FBI agents who have worked on famous cases to talk about things. They bring in a guy named Joe Kenda. For those of you who watch Discovery ID, like he is the man. Um, and he apparently talks about some of the cases that he has solved. And like to me, I'm looking at this and I'm like, how? How have I missed this? And now it's on my list of things to do. I must go to a thing. I think that is there's there's a, like a couple of them. So now I have to figure out like which one I need to go to. Although I got to tell you, I'm leaning towards the one in Vegas, not New York. But we'll see. Because <laughs> you know how I feel about New York. Um, but we shall see. And I'm just like, I, like I said, I, have you ever gone to a can, you know, we obviously go to political conventions, things of that nature. Have you ever gone to like a fan convention? Uh, I have not, despite my, my, you know, considerable geek street cred. Um, a couple years ago, in fact, I still may do In fact, thank you for reminding me, Mickey, I need to look this up. There, apparently the Federal Bureau of Investigation's New York office once a year holds a special class for writers, uh, writers, both, you know, nonfiction and fiction. Um, and they may give them a tour of the labs. They give them, they bring in guest speakers. It's kind of, you know, like fantasy camp for people who want to know about what the FBI does. And that right. always struck me as absolutely fascinating and interesting. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that stuff. Cause I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that I don't know if I've ever told you Mickey. And I know I, I doubt I haven't written about this in years and years and years. So I, I, you know, I thank God I've not been a victim of serious crime. Everybody in my family and friends have pretty much been okay. Never had to, you know, uh, run into something terrible or or serious like that. But right back in 2001, uh, the summer of the sharks, people may remember, uh, I lived like basically across the street from Shonda Levy. Uh, people may remember her as the intern with, uh, Congressman Gary Condit of California who disappeared, um, and who, you know, became the, the big hot you know, salacious scandal of the summer of 2001. And it was kind of weird to be in the neighborhood. This was not far from DuPont Circle. Um, it was the summer of Chandra Levy for sure. Yep. This was, uh, this is back when, uh, you know, I used to jokingly tell people when you hit the TV trucks, you've gone too far. Um, and what people don't realize is that there was another young woman who disappeared from the DuPont Circle neighborhood by the name of Joyce Chang. And there are like one or two others. There were a bunch of disappearances in the DuPont Circle area in that time period and i remember somebody talked about and i went and checked it out there was graffiti that said jc i love you that popped up shortly after the disappearance now it could be jesus christ could be somebody totally else with jc or it could be a reference to joyce chang the woman who disappeared so that was like probably as close as i got to your world mickey um was engaged at the time Mm -hmm. my wife uh, you know if there was a if there was a um 
profile of the likely victims. My wife would not be too far from that. And so I, I, I was a little freaked out back then. You know, this this theory that there's a serial killer or somebody in the neighborhood, you know. Um, so yeah, I know obviously that they well, did. I don't think anybody somebody. wants to intentionally be in the middle of it. Mm. Um, I find myself what, what is the most fascinating by far is mostly the psychology of it, both of the perpetrator and of the victims. Mm. And I've said this before, but one of my favorite shows is evil lives here because it talks about people who live with murderers and their family members and they had no idea. And it's just an interesting look at, like, how things... Because you adapt to what you believe is normal, right? Yeah. You know, the... the, Sorry, No, no. It's just one of those things. You adapt to what is normal. So hearing and seeing things from their perspective is fascinating. I was just... I I remember from that time this nagging sense that uh, this was terrifying to, you know, if you had someone you cared about who, you know, may have fit the profile of this. Um, you may remember a long, slow, sluggish, and not terribly reassuring investigation by Metro Police Department in D.C. at the time. I uh, haven't lived mm-hmm. in D.C. in a while, so I'm hoping it's better. But you know, this nagging sense, and you know, obviously all the questions surrounding Condit, and this idea so- that you know, if, mm-hmm. if a trail led towards somebody powerful, that maybe the police weren't going to dig too deep or something. Perhaps it, it, it ties nicely to our smaller discussion from earlier <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah, it does. And also there is a there's now a documentary out about that and I have not had a chance to watch it. So maybe I will check that out for our listeners next week on the Chandra Levy situation and case, because one of the things that I have done since we last spoke was I sat down and <laughs> decided I'm going to watch one episode of The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. Or McCann. Or I, I, I say it wrong, but I think it's McCann. Um, anyway, I'm going to... And now she is the little girl who was three years old. Little blonde thing, adorable blue-eyed. Um, and she was on vacation with her parents and siblings who were younger. Um, and her parents were at dinner. The children were sleeping. Uh, she got went. Her mother went back to check on the children, and Madeline was gone, and has never been seen nor heard of since. Do you um, remember this? this... Mm-hmm. As I say, was there anything new in this one? I'm curious about what makes Netflix say this is an I'm old case. Get that. Okay. All right. I'm going to get to that. I just wanted to lay the groundwork because not mm-hmm. everybody pays attention to these kind of things. So I want to just make sure you guys understood which, what I was talking about. Okay. Um, the, the next thing you're going to need to understand to make sense of any of this is this took place in Portugal. And what I learned by watching is, is that listeners, you'll remember I told you about Colton jumping the fence in Portugal and like running off into the woods. He is exceptionally lucky that the Portugal police did not arrest him. Because we may not know where Colton is to this day. Um, I, it, you know, it always surprises me. I think another one I would I'd say falls into this category is uh, the Amanda Knox documentaries. Because one of the things that we as Americans forget all the time is that while our justice system is flawed, right? It is absolutely 100% flawed because we're humans and anytime humans are involved, there will be flaws. Um but it is so much better than everywhere else on the planet. 
And, you know, as obviously Amanda Knox was tried in Italy, and that was just a farce beyond anything. And yeah, the prosecutor really sounded nuts every time, you know, he kept every time he kept getting Italy. Yeah. Like you think of them as being like kind of like us with accents and a little cooler (laughs) Um, (laughs) and more starches in the diet. Yes. Right. But that's wrong. That's false. That's not how shit rolls. Um, And what I found out is Portugal is Portugal and does not have anything to do with us or even, to be fair, even most of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, Portugal still operates very much like it is a third world country, I think, um, in, in many aspects, in many ways that it operates. Now, having said that, um, the story, of course, was because here was my thought going in. And I think this is important, too. My thought going in, Jim, like when I first told you I wanted to talk about this story, was your first thought like didn't her parents have something to do with that? Yeah, I mean you get you know it's, it's easy to have these missing children cases kind of blur together, but uh, to the extent yeah, I do remember that one, that yeah. case, which yeah, when I say that case, what do you remember about it? <sighs> All right, so as you said, little and blonde. Or, or, okay, or am I just remembering that in every missing child case, eventually the the eyes of suspicion turn to the parents? Well, and that's possible as well. And let me here. Let me just tell you how it went down. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they're on vacation. The parents were staying at a resort with friends. They had like a whole kind of area um, inside the resort where the other parents had also left their children in their rooms. Um, and the parents would kind of take turns, like going up like every half hour, and they just kind of do a check in. And usually, it was whoever had to pee or whatever. And they checked on the kids and they did this every night. And earlier in the week, they decided because their group was so large to go ahead and make a reservation for the entire week um, at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And apparently at that time, the waiter made a note there beside their <clears throat> their reservation saying that they would be at the uh, they'd have a standing reservation all week. And it was because their children would be put down and in bed. I am. Um, that was probably one of the more frustrating things I found out, but it just got so much worse. Um, so, okay, so here's the thing. This child, at, at some point in the evening, there was one woman who went and checked, there were two men who went and checked, and then her mother went and checked, and her mother was the one who found her missing. They are not sure, like, the actual time, like, they have a time frame in which that she went missing, um, but they have no idea when she went missing and there has literally been no credible sightings or information since the the parents initially got railed because they said you know oh they were having dinner and their kids were sleeping and like yeah but one they were inside a resort let's start there right Mm. so they were inside a resort um and two and this is really important like the place they were eating, and this is because they're inside there, was literally across the pool. So mm. it would be like, you know, eating out in the yard, basically, and your kid's inside sleeping. Like, yeah, this, is, this not... is not there far away, and, and the child's wildly unattended, and things like that. You know... Okay, and... Sorry, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. If, if well, I, I, as you're... I, I, there's so much, so if you okay. want to on this that's good but we can keep going and then you can just stroke out all at one time well the other thing i'm wondering about 
<laughs> what, what a wonderful metaphor. Um, the, the, both this and the Amanda Knox one, you mentioned about the Portuguese police, you mentioned the Italian police. You know, look, a, a really high profile, missing profile, a missing person's case, um, besides being every parent's nightmare, it's got to be one of the toughest things you can handle as a police force, right? And, and you're going to have, you know, huge, there are probably not a lot of police forces in, in this country or around the world. Jim, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to hold that thought till a little bit later in the story. Okay. Um, And I think you'll see why here in a minute. Because the mother comes out and she's like, she's missing. They search. They call the cops. The cops, like, walk around looking for her. People are in and out of the apartment, of course. Um, And by the time, like, the, I guess what we would consider, like, I don't know the, the FBI guy. I don't know. I don't know what the hell he is. I, he's the head cop person. Okay. Um, they had to bring him in from, like, he's kind of head of the area. They had to bring him in. Now, here are some things you need to know about Portuguese law that I had no idea. One, there is no law. Don't talk to these people. Don't get near them. And certainly don't go into custody if you can avoid it. Um, they're not to be trusted because the places that people are in Portugal that Americans and specifically Europeans care about Mm -hmm. are all tourist destinations. And their number one goal is to make sure this doesn't become a problem for tourism. Mm. And that is where their loyalty lies above all else. Um, And I think that's really, really important. Um, initially, you know, people were trying to be helpful and they were like, you know, this is, you know, just at at least to try to form a timeline, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was, you know, I saw him here. I saw, or I saw this there, whatever, whatever, all of this is happening. The parents are frantic. They're on TV every night, like begging for, you know, if there's something going on, you know, whoever just bring her back, bring her back. One of the things I did not know about the Portuguese government was that, and law was that if you are named as a suspect or if you are involved with the case, you're not allowed to talk about it at all. Like, at all. To the press, to anybody. And if they find out that you do, or obviously if it's aired that you are saying something about the, whether it be the investigation or anything else. Or say a denial. (laughs) Right? Right? Exactly. Yes, though that's absolutely what it is. Um, you will, you can't go on and even like deny your involvement. Like literally, that can get you two years in jail. And there was no reason to believe at any point that these people would not have thrown these parents in jail because ultimately, when they didn't come up with a suspect right away, suddenly they brought these dogs in who supposedly like were cadaver dogs and whatnot. And I need to tell you, you know, as someone who watches a great deal of these things, um, this was one of the biggest farce of supposed quote evidence I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it didn't happen the way they said it happened. I don't know what happened to Madeline, poor thing, but it didn't happen the way they said it happened. Mm. And they immediately blamed the parents, brought them in for questioning um they set them up they were going to arrest them and they the parents were smart enough to get out of the country and take the children with um because they were setting up to arrest parents who had absolutely nothing to do with it and it is explained in great detail with actual you know receipts as the kids say Mm. um as to how they were clearly never involved and how the police had hoped to 
pin it on them and make it go away. I was and say, if your if your top interest is Portuguese tourism, I can't think of mm-hmm. anything more damaging than come here, visit with your family, and your children may get kidnapped and you never see them again. Right? That that's you know, that's going to destroy your tourism industry. Flip side, oh, it just happened to be two psycho parents. You know, you know that this has there's no reflection on the country. We just let some mm-hmm. bad people. You know, like that's I I, I know which one you're going to have pressure to which conclusion the government's going to prefer. Uh, rather than, hey, mm-hmm. you're not safe visiting here. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine our media playing along with that, by the way? Anyway, so the next part of it goes like this. In addition to them obviously being concerned about tourism and the fact that they're saying, you know, the parents did it, they're looking into it, they start leaking information to the press that makes it sound like they've got like rock solid proof that they've got DNA evidence that they've found blood that they've found this that they've found that so people start to be like oh my god what if they really did it right mm-hmm. so at that point they're like well okay i guess they did it well for the most part at that point what happens jim people stop uh, looking mm, yeah that's a good well that moment and at that moment, people stop looking. And when they stop looking, your child is now just in the abyss. And it was like a second just devastation for them, realizing like that this was, you know, nothing was helping and they weren't looking because now all they were thinking was that they did it. Um, and they continue to do as much as they possibly can. They, they continue to do as much as they possibly can. But it was also revealed that the Portuguese government knew Um, because it had been happening over a number of years that I think it was like 27 or 28 young girls had been sexually assaulted inside of resorts with primarily tourists from Europe and America. Um, And they had not, you know, ever mentioned that during it. And approximately a year earlier, a very similar case took place and no one ever like tied the two on that, but they did beat a confession out of her parents in a way that will turn your stomach. So again, don't visit Portugal's pretty much where I'm at with that. And um, also watch this. It's worth it. I pray to God these people find their child because it goes into a lot of different things that we talk about on the surface a lot, but mm. It was. It's definitely worth watching. I was moved enough to, to really feel like God. These people, like I, my heart, just broke for them. Um, Mickey, interesting because I've been thinking a lot about Netflix lately. But let me let me observe. So you had recommended like probably a year or two ago. You said Jim, Stranger Things is exactly the kind of show you're going to love, and I wanted to watch it. I could not get Mrs. Campaign spot to to watch it at all. The good news is I've started watching. And so far, those early episodes are super duper Hallelujah. terrific. Hallelujah! See, I, I listen to you eventually. Um, it is also worth noting, and I think I told you this, and I mentioned this at a, when I was appearing at CPAC. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the the, head, the headline: "Everything turned out okay." But um, you know, late February, there was a word that uh, one of the kids in our neighborhood had not come home from school. Uh, parents were worried. There was no explanation, and uh, they were asking for volunteers to go looking. This is around sunset. Uh, joined my neighbors and other families in the neighborhood. Uh, we started walking around the woods, got the flashlights. Um, 
never got the full story, but the gist was uh, the the child was found safe and sound, no foul play, nothing wrong. You know, happy happy ending to the story. But you know, for, for about two hours, I'm walking around, uh, you know, in the woods and near our house and back trails and stuff like that, looking for you know, like like hoping to not find anything because God forbid something went wrong, but also that you know, harming. So, what does Stranger Things begin with? A missing uh-huh. child. <laughs> <laughs> yes, know? I was just thinking, like, which did you see first, the Stranger Things, or did you have it happen? Because as you're yeah, talking, like, oh my god, that, get into this. that so is totally it. how it starts. Yeah, and I'm I'm watching this. I'm like, you know, this is a little heavy. This is fitting in fitting the mood there. So, um, and I also tried starting out with the uh, the Umbrella Academy, which is kind of this offbeat, weird human drama, kind of a, a you know messed up version, al- alcoholic version of the X of uh, the X Men might be a good way of putting it. I have mixed feelings about the Umbrella Academy. All right, so here's so I'm only a li- I'm only about an episode or two into that one, but let, here's my observation, Mickey. I think Netflix has a lot of series ideas that are pretty good and would probably make a really good five to six episode show. And for some reason, they insist upon making them eight to ten episodes. I find myself watching these things and saying, this is kind of taking its time. I thought about this in The Defenders. I thought about this in a bunch of the Marvel Netflix series. Um, is it just me? Or like, has, has my attention span deteriorated? Or is that a, a, a trend amongst Netflix shows, this feeling that they're kind of padded out by about two or three episodes to to fill a certain amount of time. Do you remember when there was a thing called miniseries? There you go. Yeah. Um, a lot of like, not a lot, because the thing about it is, is like, if it's going to be a real show that develops, like, and I would look to like HBO on this. Yeah. They usually let you know up front. This is a you know this is a one time deal. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like six episodes. And sometimes that's too long. Um, but they usually will let, you know, like this is, a, it's not going to be a season two and there's not, you know, whatever. And it's not going to be building character arcs all over. We're just going to tell a story. And a lot of times that works. Sometimes it's like my favorite TV. However, Jim, my God, some of these things, like I'm, I, I literally have gotten to the point in some shows where I see what's starting to go down and I'll just like fast forward while I can still watch it. I was going to say, like, I don't to- really care. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking about the great miniseries of all time. Roots, The Day After, mm-hmm. North and South, Winds of War, and America with a K. I think almost all of them, I think we're on ABC. I could be wrong. But all of them, I want to say, again, off the top of my you head. You missed get... one of the ones that was most impactful on me. Which one? Uh, it was called, I believe it was called Without a Trace, starring Valerie Bertinelli. Ah. And involved the guy who murdered his wife, and they used Luminol. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Luminol used, and it glows. It was amazing. had a great impact. Excellent. All right, Different so there you go. your movies. <laughs> All of those are like six to seven episodes, I want to say. Or maybe like, you know, two hours over a matter of nights. You know, like, like yes. I, I, am, I, am yes. I wrong? Like, they're, they're, they're you know, they're, the idea of these 10-hour Netflix episodes, I feel like they've got a good idea to start. The first three or four episodes, you kind of explore the concept, and then it's kind of we 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 run in place on a treadmill <laughs> until the last two episodes when things start happening again. And it's this weird pacing issue uh, that I feel okay. like I see in series after series. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, you know, 
No, I, I don't disagree with you at all. And in fact, I think pacing is a real problem with the series that one, they might have been better. Like they're, they're, they're interesting enough to get me to watch the whole thing. Right. Mm. Um, but it would have been significantly better if it, instead of them stretching it out, because my problem isn't the six episodes. I can suck that up. The ones that make me nuts are the ones where they go for 12 or 13 when in fact they might've had four or five. Yeah. Maybe six. And, you know, like, I feel like you, if you have eight episodes worth of content, do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't try to put in filler and things, because what ultimately ends up happening is you have either a lot of, like, unfinished business or things that your your audience cares nothing about. At least that's my experience. Like, I'm not, you know me. I'm a get-to-the-point kind of girl. When you reach this point of pacing, particularly, I guess, if you have this idea of it being bingeable, right? And you want to have something dramatic happen at the end of the episode so that people feel an intention, you know, next episode beginning in 10 seconds, nine seconds, you know, that they don't get up from their television, that they keep on watching. And maybe what part of the problem is, you know, one of the advantages of episodic television is you watch an episode, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then at the end, uh, they roll the credits. You feel satisfied. You saw a complete story. In bingeable television, the whole point is to not end the story <laughs> when the, you know, at the end of the hour or however many minutes this is. Because you really want people to continue on the next. So your natural breathing points, your natural point of, of, of breaking up the story happen in the middle of the episode instead of at the end when you'd probably be, you know, okay, roll credits and I can go off and do something else and come back to watch the next episode next time. Mm-hmm. No, that's fascinating because um, my friend Christiana um, has has very strong feelings about that type of thing. Um, the need for it to be broken up, the deem for the pacing, like you don't want to watch everything all at one time. Um, but we also have discussed on the, one of her favorite shows, if not her favorite show, um, was Law and Order. And she loved that because there was no, like, overarching story that you had to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. If you sat down and it was on loop, you could watch a show from beginning to end and know a story and be finished. You didn't have to be invested in what had happened before or after. And now, like, that is exactly what you're looking at with these Netflix things. You absolutely, like, you can't just, like, turn it on and know what's happening. So it's good in one way, but in the other way, it's also becoming this show. Like, it's basically a series, right? Yeah. And right. so is it that then do they start to lose their sparkle, shine, and novelty? Which is what I think is happening with, not, with Netflix and Prime specifically. Um, I think that they're putting out a lot of content. Mm. It's just not very good. Yeah. So there are um, some, there are like a handful of great things. But they're putting out a ton of content, and most of it's really bad. Um, more than half of Netflix's, con- Netflix's content is now original, which on the one hand is a testament to it. Um, and the, you know, I mean, remember, the old days of HBO, it was showing movies, and Showtime, and Cinemax, or Skinemax, I guess is what they call it. You know, all that kind of stuff was, okay, you know, we're mostly going to show you movies that were in the theaters a little while ago. And they gradually dip their toes into their own original programming. And so on the one hand, it's a mark of maturity. But I think you're right. It's almost – the other thing which is also increasingly clear, and we've talked about this on our podcast a couple of times, this ever-advancing – like Netflix has become a success. So every Hollywood studio wants to do its own version of it, which means you're going to have Disney streaming soon. DC has one. Um 
uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's, I know there's you know, plus you've got Hulu, you've got Sling, you've got Amazon Prime. You know, everybody's got their own separate platform, and they think they can get um, everyone to subscribe to these. And after a while, you're gonna, you're, you know, all of these streaming services are gonna equal your cable bill. <laughs> you know, it's not going to end up being value compared to the other option. Mickey. Sorry, I had I had my mic muted so that I didn't talk over you because let's face it, everybody knows I do that to you. Um, but <laughs> like I like that, but then, then you go quiet, and I, my my nagging fear I, is oh, you know, darn the connection between our our uh, our two. Yes, players. no, okay. To bring you bring you up to what I was saying before, I realized that I was muted. Is that you sound like you are living in my house and welcome to my world? And I say this because I'm now having this conversation with Mr. Bias. Because he's like, you know, pick one or whatever, because he's like, basically, you've got to have to have all these cable things and then you have to have all of these things, you know, and Amazon and Prime and Hulu and, of course, and then you also have your Xbox and whatever. But what I'm saying is like, it's now if you bundle all that together as expensive as my cable bill. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder if you're or it's a getting cur- close, I should yeah. say, if you're a creator and you want to create a show and you think you've got something spectacular and you want to see it reach an audience. I wonder if you're like, well, I mean, I understand network television is not as prestigious as it used to be. You have to break up your story for commercial breaks. I realize, you know, uh, Netflix and Amazon prime are now the glamor, uh, ones and they're winning the big awards and getting big stars and all that kind of stuff. That's because they can say dirty words. Yeah. There's that, you know, no content restrictions, yada, yada, yada. That that at some point though, right, if and the audience gets too food. fragmented, right? You if you're on Amazon Prime, you're only gonna your your potential pool of of people who can see it are the people who subscribe to Amazon Prime. If it's on Netflix, then you can't reach all these other you know, and if it if you know um they're apparently doing a Star Wars TV show for what Disney's gonna do. It, uh, am I intrigued? Sure. Do I wanna have to subscribe to a separate thing? Not really. You know, do I think it kind of stinks the way all the Marvel stuff on Netflix got killed off and the suspicion that it's all because, you know, Disney wants to save you know all the Marvel where it's going. Yeah, right? I mean, this whole idea that each media company is going to have its own separate streaming service. And at some point, like, some people will subscribe to all of them, but my suspicion is a bunch of consumers won't. And they'll just say, eh, you know what? I'm not going to subscribe to that one, which means I won't see that show. And they'll live without it. And that's, you know, it, it's a decision. Hi, to limit and you know what's going to happen? Some genius is going to come along and say, you can package these streaming channels together <laughs> we're gonna and put, pay a we're, price. We'll run them all it'll be, it'll just be virtual cable. <laughs> yes. It'll literally just be virtual cable. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and you'll pay the fees, but we all know they can't live off the subscription fees. Um, you know, there's certain, there are certain streaming companies that can obviously, but you know, the broadcast, they rely on their commercials significantly. And I, I I just think it's really interesting. Like some of the things you said that are kind of accepted as just fact, which is that, you know, if you're on a Netflix show, you know, it, it, it carries more weight or that it, and, and the thing about this, I think it does in the circles of people who, um, give awards and like to read the New York 
Worker and things like that. Yeah, like variety readers mm-hmm. probably care about that. But I think for the general public, you're still like your viewing public is significantly higher on any broadcast show. So your notoriety and notability, you have to be in like the number one Netflix show for people to even have an idea who you are. Um, yeah. Whereas it's not the same with broadcasts. I kind of wonder. I'd like to point this out. This is this is, of course, you know, my my love of media and and how I appreciate how it operates and works so much, and you know, spent so much of my life in it that I think that that comes from my appreciation that I do feel the need to defend it sometimes, because I think people have a little bit of a misunderstanding of exactly how things work. I was going to say the advantage of broadcast, and people have argued about how accurate the Nielsen ratings are for a really long time. Uh, for a long time, it was people writing in books, trying to remember what they listened to on the radio or what they watched on television. Um, but Netflix generally does not release a lot of its data of how many viewers shows have. Like if, if it's really good, they'll release it. <laughs> and if it's if it's not, they'll just say it was a hit and not go into any specific numbers. Correct. Um, and on the one hand, Netflix is only going to you know make decisions based upon its own uh, uh, its own judgment of what's attracting viewers Best and interest. what's attracting you know you know. But that that remember when uh, was Whoa, oh, Michelle yeah. Wolf's show, right? This the you know, her show got canceled, yeah. and everyone was mm-hmm. like, "How could they?" It was such a great you know, it was not to the taste of you or I. Um, but my attitude had always been like, "Man, you know, Netflix doesn't release numbers, and I can't imagine Michelle Wolf's show was was terribly expensive to make, right? You know, you you need to buy a desk, pay her, <laughs> and pay the cameraman." And maybe some graphics mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right? This was not, you know, expensive special effects and, you know, big cast. And well, lot- my guess is someone else actually either, I, I, don't, I don't even know if they've actually produced the show or if they just picked it up after production to run it, see how it went. But the thing about it is with a show like that, the beauty of Netflix, even though up until this point they've been able to avoid telling anybody because they're not, they're not going after advertisers. They don't need to tell yeah. people. You know, um, they, but the, the the most important thing is, so they know probably more accurately than anyone mm. about who is watching their shows, movies, and when, where, which ones logged in. What happens when you log into any of these streaming services? Who's watching? Is it you? Is it your kid? Is it your wife? You know. Mm-hmm. Again, so they yeah, know, like they they've got all your data. And, and again, like I said, I, I'm not a hater of even doing that. Like, whatever. I don't care. I'm old. I'm, I'm sure that my dad has been sold and used, in, you know, a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much I care about it anymore. But what I am saying is, like, we, they know what you like. They know how to give it to you. And they've put it in a position also, though, where, like, they have kind of elevated themselves. Because if they have one hit, man, they go crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. it is a big deal to them. And it is a big deal for the industry, without a doubt. Again, I just don't know where the average viewer falls on that. I have one friend who does not watch any broadcast TV, who's into TV. You know, there's a lot of people like, I don't watch television. That's fine. <laughs> I don't Whatever. even own I don't a care. television. I don't own a television. Fine. You be that person. But I have one friend... Um, who does not watch broadcast TV except for sports. Um, He just won't do it. He finds it to be cheesy and formulaic and it just bothers him for 
a million reasons, but he's a weirdo cancer like you. Um, but anyway, having said that, um, he watches HBO, he watches Netflix, Hulu, like all of that. And he's really a snob about some of the things that he watches. And I've asked him about it. And, he, you know, he's, he obviously feels like he's kind of above it. He's above broadcast television. And it makes me giggle because I'm like, I've watched the crap that you have suggested to me. And, like, some of them are really good, but some of them crap, too. They just happen to not have commercials. And, you know, I don't know if that's the trick of it. Like, hey, it, it's just, you know, you get to actually watch a 42-minute show without a commercial. But for me, there's something, you know, I, I just like good co content. I don't care if it's on broadcast or HBO or on some streaming service. Yeah. And Lord knows there have been a bunch of shows both on HBO and Showtime and, and all that that are actually, you know, that, that, that were a little pretentious, that were kind of running on this, you know, glamorous image and that didn't actually... Um, I, I think, let's just say the quality was debatable to summarize that. Um, by the way, so in light of that, I was kind of, you know, we're thinking back to what's now on basic cable since now that there's no longer any history mm -hmm. on the History Channel, no longer any arts and entertainment <laughs> on A&E, uh, no longer music on music on MTV. Doesn't MTV have like the teen pregnancy show now? Yes, yes. Uh, MTV has had the teen pregnancy show and it is called Teen Mom. And now there's like, like Teen Mom 2, and there might even be one called OG Teen Mom. Mm -hmm. And it's given me a great deal of thought. Um, not just that show, by the way. There were uh, several other shows that kind of popped into my head um, because I realized like generationally things are changing. And I thought it would be something interesting to talk to you about, interesting to discuss with our listeners and get their feedback on it. Because when you and I were younger, right, we were of the generation um, that, especially as a girl, um, and, and probably as a boy, too, you were being warned constantly. What were you being warned about? Don't get pregnant, right? Oh, Don't get uh, pregnant. If you looked at a woman for too long, you would make her pregnant. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, and some of us even knew, you know, about sex, too, Jim. But <laughs> but at the same time, we were told, like, if you get pregnant, it'll ruin your life, right? Like, that's the worst thing that can happen. Your parents will be so disappointed in you, right? Like, it would be the worst thing. And I knew and have had friends that um, got pregnant at a very young age. Some of them chose to abort. Some of them chose to give their child up for adoption. Some of them chose to have the child and continue to raise it. Um, because that was how our generation operated. And it was very common, I think, for our generation of parents to be the ones who were like, they were the first ones that basically told you, like, you don't have to get married if you get pregnant but we recommend it mm -hmm. yeah right definitely a trade you know, look we, we were you know we were uh you and i are generation x we were latchkey kids uh the, the aids was coming along making you you know helpfully explaining to you that if you have sex you will die mm -hmm. uh, uh -huh. be afraid and, and also you know pr pregnancy at the end of the world um mm -hmm. and also but, but there was also this you know uh, at the same time, pop culture was becoming, a, you know, it was the era of Madonna and more sexualization in media and all that kind of stuff. All of this is going on at the same time and sending some extremely mixed messages um, during, during, you know, pelting us with all of this and helping us try to navigate through all this stuff. But I mean, all, all in all, 
make you know, it feels kind of innocent compared to, <laughs> compared to what's out here today. Am I wrong? Well, or? it feels a little innocent, but more to the point, it also feels a little more understanding and acceptable. Like, yeah. I am I am not an expert on any of this. What I am thinking, though, is what I'm seeing is that girls, specifically, now, you know, it's no longer necessarily, like, the shame of the family. There's still going to be families like that. Mm. But on the whole, if you, you know, find yourself with someone in your family that has become pregnant unexpectedly and out of wedlock, like, we don't send them off to convents anymore. Yeah, that shun them is no longer the well this is the best possible solution <laughs> you know right like they they go to them. school up yeah, you know. they go to school up until the time that they give birth and they can go to college and have you know daycare for their kid like i i think it's a really positive message though and this is why i wanted to hit on it um i think it's an exceptionally positive message because while we can always teach abstinence we can always teach to use the best type of birth control available accidents still happen and more to the point sometimes absolute failures happen like you could be using the proper birth control um as someone i know has had happen and still end up pregnant um so there's a lot of things that can happen and people are always talking about you know freedom of choice so to speak right Mm -hmm. but really the biggest change that has happened over the years and i think one of the reasons why abortion numbers have slightly worn off in some areas and why people have leaned more towards becoming more pro-life and not to be political is just this. The social, the social aspect of it has changed. Like if a child comes home now, tells their parents that they're pregnant, it doesn't mean that they're going to be ostracized. Hell, it doesn't mean they're not going to prom. They yeah. might even get their own TV show. Like, it, And I feel like that's also encouraging girls to believe that, okay, even if I get pregnant and or if I find myself pregnant, that doesn't mean I have to drop out of high school. It doesn't mean I have to drop out of college. Like, it might change my plans a little bit, but I can still do what I want. And to me, that's an exceptionally positive message, and it's coming from a very odd place. But they, like I said, there's Teen Mom. There's a bunch of other ones that are out there. And I just, I don't know, I find it really interesting watching you know, Kylie Jenner did it. You're seeing all of these kind of young, successful people have children and keep it moving. Yeah. I was gonna and say, there's nothing, some very positive things to that. I was going to say, if nothing else, it feels like we've skipped past the, um, w- w- when it happens, again, you know, everybody's experience is going to be different. Different families will have different reactions. But a sense of like, okay, you're pregnant. What do we do? What What's the next step? Right. What is the best course for the mother? What is the best course for the child? Um, what role will the father have? You know, every, everybody sees it as a problem to be solved. Hopefully not a point, a reason for finger wagging or finger pointing or, you know, how could this happen? Well, I think we all know how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's the part I think that was so hard in our generation that I'm hoping is changing. Um, you know, we talk about bad parenting and let's face it, there's a great deal of horrible parenting going on. But I also think that we in our age group and generation may have been scarred just enough um, to do better with their children. Because I think that, you know, we had such issues with our parents and the fear of and this, it caused all kinds of, let's face it, Jim, our entire generation has trust issues and issues with relationships and commitment. Like, that's the best thing I can say about Gen X. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, if, if you are in this 
newer generation, maybe you're seeing something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it, it is interesting that if you want to say, ah, here we are in this era of these, you know, you, you and I enjoy making fun of millennials as much as the next generation X or maybe even more. Um, but mm-hmm. the abortion rate does go down year by year. That uh, in fact, the, mm-hmm. the sexual uh, rate of sexual activity amongst teenagers has dropped. Uh, other than marijuana, drug use has dropped. Other than, I believe, teen smoking is down pretty dramatically. You know, there were a whole bunch of no- numbers and indicators that, that actually said, actually, you know, for all the things, ah, you know, these young people today, they're actually doing okay. Uh, that, in fact, a whole bunch of problems or big mm-hmm. problems when I mean, you and I were growing up, um, drinking uh, really comes to mind. anymore. Yeah, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. moving in the right direction, um, which is a good And sign. I think that there's something to be said about that. And I do believe it has a great deal to do with the rate of, like, the acceptal, like the acceptance of the parents and the tolerance of the parents. Now, some would say that in some cases they've gone way too far, and that's how we end up with bratty children. Um, but I would also say that some of us go, went just far enough. And have ended up with children who are uber tolerant and also super respectful and open doors and say, yes, ma'am. And so it can be done. Yeah. No, I I was going to say, I. And I also told him that, you know, all women were liars and all they (laughs) wanted was his sperm when he was in high school. But, you know, whatever. Ah, you know, it, this has been Parenting with Mickey, uh, <laughs> our new sub show we're going to, to launch. No. Um, Look, you know, it turned it, out it, great, so enough. Uh, it, it's interesting because my my older son is now getting to the point where they've, you know, they've got their family life classes and things like that. And these are, um, mm-hmm. you know, you want to teach your kid. Uh, I, I want to teach my sons, you know, every, everything appropriate to be responsible. I want to teach them to be gentlemen. I want to teach them, you know right and wrong um but also a recognition this is a world in which the the standards and and you know is, is are changing very fast and this kind of the sense of right so how do you you know stay true to your values stay true to who you are and what you want to be um but not necessarily be out of what i think was a you know the 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 the, the, the i remember thinking back to and i wrote a little bit about this in in heavy lifting in all of the health classes we got, Mickey, I don't know if this is how things were for you, they, you know, like, don't drink, alcohol is dangerous. And thus, there was no real explanation of, well, why do people drink, right? Correct, why do people, yeah. Yeah, uh, take drugs. Why do people have sex? You know, all of these things do it because they make you feel good, right? On, on at least right. on the drug stuff, I have to speculate. <laughs> but yeah, you know, <laughs> speaking for one of us. Um, yeah. And so this idea of, this you know, you know what I'm saying? there's a little bit of realism of you know so now I can say to my kids hey you know why people drink a lot because you know like you're trying to forget your problems and you feel good right all of a sudden everything's hilarious you know um, and sometimes you just want to relax with your friends yeah and so and this this it's a I, I social like more forewarned and more forearmed if you have a fuller picture instead of stay away from demon rum you know that kind of uh, uh, no absolutely yeah now again it's it's um. I, I don't remember it being called demon rum, but because, of course, I was raised by Puritans, um, all alcohol was bad. Mm. So, you know, you were, I'm assuming that, that people around you had wine or some type of drinks. Like, my dad had a beer maybe three times a year, and my mother never drank. So, yeah, mm. like, 
I, I, I sometimes I look at that and, you know, do the whole nature, nurture, perhaps there was a mess up at the, you know, at the hospital. I'm not sure. So um, speaking of parenting, and then since we're approaching the uh, uh, a good wrap-up point for this week's program, um, there's a clo- there's, you're close to a new addition to your family, Mickey. Um, but mm-hmm. I understand that your, your uh, other, the previous edition is in a competitive uh, high-stakes contest that we must call attention to before we wrap up for the week. Yes, please. Thank you, Jim. And thanks for uh, listening, guys. Look, here's the thing. Please go and vote for my furry little friend, Nephew. He is um, the most adorable dog in the world. And you'll see pictures of him because I'll post them. And if if I'll post them, more pictures, the more votes that he gets. So please go vote. I'm going to put the links up. It's for Richmond Magazines. So I don't, I, I think it is richmondmagazine.com, but I'm not sure. But there are links at Facebook. There's going to be, there are links at our Facebook page. There are links um, on our Twitter pages. And um, his name is Remington Steele. And <laughs> yes, we, ca- we call him Remy, but it is Remington Steele, but it's steel like the Steelers, not steel like the show. And, um, and he is a little white, fluffy Maltese Pomeranian who I will tell you when I walk him, people will literally come up to me and ask me if he's real <laughs> because he is the most precious thing and he is super cute and tiny. And again, I, I, I beg of you to go vote for him for Richmond's top dog. Um, it's a competition by Richmond magazine and my very, very, very pregnant sister would be very, very angry with me if I hadn't mentioned that and super excited if you win. So if you could help out and like keep the family harmony going, that would be fantastic. Um, and and way, as Jim just to clarify, you don't have to live in, in Richmond to vote in Richmond magazine no, contest, right? No, so thank you. Thank wherever you, you are in the world, we need your help to fix the contest in favor of Remington steel. Oh, we, we correct. intend upon using every unfair advantage we can get, uh, to anything we can get. Yes. A happy dog and a very, hopefully, very happy so- mother to be very soon. So, yes, yeah, she's she is she is um, at full term right now, so she's ready to go. Um, so, yeah, she would really like Remington Steel to win, and it is at Richmond Magazine. You don't have to be in Richmond to win. I'm going to put the links up on our Facebook page and on Twitter. It's already out there, um, and you can vote every day. And get this: you can vote from your phone once a day and your laptop once a day if you are so inclined so thanks for doing this in advance and please do if you i will tell you what if you let me know that you're going and you're voting for remy i will actually follow you on twitter there you go for those of us who are already being followed by mickey on twitter it's not quite as sweet a deal but you know what we should help out uh, help out Mickey and her little dog too. There you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. And also keep my sister happy. So again, thanks so much. And as Jim mentioned, we have come to, we've gone a little long today, but you know, there was a lot, a lot to discuss. So thank you so much for being with us this week. Um, hopefully we'll be back next week. We're getting better at this, at least kind of on the regular here a little bit more. And uh, you can always find us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. And of course, excuse me, you can find us at iTunes. Um, You can find us at really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. 
please do go up and subscribe so that you never miss an upcoming episode since we've been a little all over the place even better um and please if you like what you hear leave a comment and share with your friends because you know you are the reason that we do this thank you so much for listening i'm mickey white he is jim garrity and you're listening to the one and only jim and mickey show